Scott Kaplan, the name that makes it happen No further introduction to the man that's worth tracking City's clapping for his relentless backing A bestie against the former team that just went packing While they're slacking, another host are lacking He tells it like it is on issues that nobody's tackling While he's racking, the ones who keep on grappling The listeners, some followers who get it, keep on stacking Great friend, and the type to set a trend President to see where haters with the men, there's no pretend 17 years, he along with Pierce Entertaining Southern Kelly, backed by popular demand Intense for the listeners to resonate To the hottest topics of the day, check the resume While some local leaders seem to lack the unity My man uses his voice to do what's best for the community Westwood One, catch him on the sidelines Reporting live, what we later see in highlights No holds barred, just like on his timeline Sun filter podcast, no need to follow guidelines Meet any criteria, dropping bombs like Syria Touching down, all around, connected like Expedia Coming to your speakers live from the city, yo Bestie, welcome to the Scott Kaplan Media Great friends, what is good? Oh man, I am in like one of these modes right now Where absolutely in fuego and what i mean by that is as i'm adjusting this microphone here in the mighty 1090 studios where i'm recording this i like like this morning just as an example right um it was up early it was make all the lunches for the kids which i love to do like i don't know about you guys if your parents out there but i love that i actually love making sure that the kids have food right amount of food good quality food etc and by the way, I have found recently that I'm saving a ton of money by not eating out, and it feels great. Okay, get the kids all off to school. You know, I moved. I moved to Solana Beach. My daughter still goes to school in Del Mar, so you know, I still have to drive her. So you know, it's a little bit more time consuming. Get home, get my other daughter, get her off to school, come home, shower, clean up, etc. Had to go drop off kids' stuff, and then I had to meet somebody because uh, I had a quick meeting. And but I had a conference call at the exact same time, and this conference call—that's why I'm bringing this up. If you've been listening over the last few weeks, I've been talking about a lot of consternation and a lot of stress in my, my other business that I haven't even really talked that much about. But you, you probably know by now it's a tech startup type company. And um, I had these meetings out here in San Diego a few weeks ago, and I had two guys come in from Pittsburgh and a guy come in from Denver, and I had a whole team of people here, and it was really super productive. And everything I wanted to happen has subsequently happened and everything that I would have tried to have forced to make it happen, I could not have come up with a better result than what has happened. Yet again, just proving yet again for everybody that's out there that's worried about something major that's going on in their lives. And I'm sure you got shit going on. I got a ton of shit going on. You cannot control what is going to happen. I wish I would have known this when I was 21. I'm just finding this shit out when I'm 48. You cannot control what's going to happen. Nature will take its course. Chances are, everything you want to have happened can happen. Um, It just... There's nothing you can do to force it to happen. And ultimately, at least in this particular example... The end result was better than I could have ever dreamt. Seriously. Because I thought I was going to have major, major wars on my hands, lawsuits and all kinds of problems and fighting and screw you and screw you and sabotage. I mean, I was really worried about all the different things that could go wrong. And in the end, truthfully, uh, honesty is what paid off. And I, I think, you know, at least for me, this, this one small twist and turn feels like we're kind of through that. And so I would just encourage everybody to just let nature take, take its course. And that's one of the things that's happening here with this podcast this week. Because all week long, since last week's podcast with Mark Bowles, the CEO of Echo ATM, which got tremendous feedback. Thank you to everybody who was listening to that. I wanted to try and bring things back a little bit to sports. But the sports business thing always seems to happen. So there's been so much talk on our radio show about the Padres and more Padre talk on the radio station than ever before. And I know people have been busting my chops on Twitter like, where you been? And I've said it honestly. When the Padres were here at 1090, I was, it was drilled into me from the ownership that if they're bad, we can't kill them because they're our business partners and killing them is killing us. And so for years, when we had the Padres on 1090, I would rather just ignore them and not beat up on them and not talk about how bad they were. 
I would just find other interesting shit to talk about. Mostly, it was the Chargers or the NFL. So, people are saying, hey, where you been, man? You're killing the Padres all of a sudden. I say, look, there's more concentration on them now. The Chargers aren't here to distract any longer. We don't have them on our air anymore, so I feel like I can be a lot more honest. you got to understand, our old owner, and I say our old, our previous owner, John Lynch, dude, there was a Saturday morning golf game every week at the Country Club with Sandy Alderson, and I was invited every week, and I went. Not every week, because, I mean, I just, I wasn't, it just wasn't a convenient thing for me at the time. Speaking of golf, quick plug here. My friends at Callaway Golf up in Carlsbad, they're going to be a big part of this podcast eventually, so hold on. But the point was, we had a relationship with the Padres. You know, Heath Bell was one of those players that we were watching coming up during, like, the whole Rivers, Breeze, Chargers soap opera. Heath Bell was the guy who was going to eventually take over for Trevor Hoffman, and everybody knew it. And when Trevor took off while everybody was pissed, Heath would... He made everybody not as pissed because he was good and, in fact, better. And, listen, debatable, you want to argue, you want to go back and look at Trevor in Milwaukee versus Heath in San Diego, whatever. But the point is, the young guy was ready to take over. That was a whole different time of Padres baseball. And it, it is certainly now on our radio station and the way we discuss it. And, and I'm happy to tell everybody the truth. When you're in business with somebody you have to sort of watch a little bit more. I know you know. Darren says on our radio station he never felt threatened in any way, probably because he's a smart baseball man and people respected his opinion, whereas we are emotional fans of local sports teams and we just go off the handle. Happy to admit all of that. So here's an interview that I did literally today because I really wanted to be consistent. I didn't want to miss this, this milestone of, of a weekly podcast. And I, I said, everybody's talking Padres. I wonder what a guy like Heath Bell thinks. Well, by going to visit Heath in his house in Poway, which is spectacular, we talk about a whole bunch of other stuff, too. I mean, current state of the Padres, uh, money, marriage, family, um, values. We get into all kinds of stuff. And then, of course, what happens? Heath has a new business, and I am you know, fascinated by it. And we, we kind of go through a taste test with Heath's new coffee company. So here, here he is on the state of the Padres. From his home in Poway, this week's episode of the Scott Kaplan Solo Podcast, here's my visit with Heath Bell. Dude, we're recording. All right. Huh? I asked you, you know. not to, not, you and I could talk for hours. Oh yeah, we could definitely do that. So I didn't want you to say too much when I got here to your house. Yeah, yeah, we were talking too much in the kind of baseball room. Yeah, th- this baseball room that you have, um, I've taken some videos and I'll, I'll show some people you're obviously cool with me doing that right? yeah yeah no problem um I, I don't know like some guys love to have sports memorabilia from their careers and some other guys just don't even have anything what what prompted you to build a room with all that cool stuff uh i just i kind of wanted my like grandkids and my you know like my young my youngest boy i guess Rhett. he's eight now i mean he thinks i um i'm a coach you know <laughs> even though he he remembers <laughs> me playing for Tampa and that's about it. You know, he remembers the one year in the nationals, but he really remembers Tampa because we went to spring training. I brought the boys, I put uniforms on them and all that good stuff, but that's all he remembers. And he barely remembers that, you know? And, um, so I just wanted them to remember that stuff. And then a lot of the stuff I, I look back and people ask me, well, didn't you play with so-and-so and didn't you, um, didn't you get a bat from them or this or that? And, I said, well, I really collect things that were personal for me, as in like uh, a good friend or, um, gosh, uh, I remember uh, Greg Maddox. He, I asked him if he could sign a bat uh, because I kind of like pitcher's bats because you never really get to see them. Mm-hmm. And he goes, here, take this one. And I said, isn't that your game bat? And he goes, I haven't got a hit in three, three <laughs> starts, so you can have it. It doesn't have any hits in it. So uh-huh. it's kind of like little funny things like that where – I have a bat from the first guy I ever faced uh, and struck him out in three straight pitches, um, and that's David Wells. Mm-hmm. And then I had uh, Damon Easley hit the first home run off me, and I had him write. I said, could you write? Um, after he said yes, I said, could you sign me a bat, a bat for me because you hit the first home run off me? Can you say, hey, don't throw that pitch in there anymore or something like that? <laughs> so he wrote a funny comment and um, just, you know, little things like that. Just What did he write? Do you, do you recall? Uh, I think it was uh, – 
thanks for the hanging slider or something like that. <laughs> or you wait, let's see. No, that was so. No, that was Andrew Jones because he's got the most home runs off me. No, how he many, said, um, how many's he got? Seven or eight. Uh-huh. Um, I think easily said, um, don't throw that fastball down the middle anymore. Mm, that's cool. So, <laughs> and then he said, you have a great career, kid. That's great. Um, so it's little things like that. And I saved all my save balls. Uh, I have all of them except for one. I can have it back if I want, but it's the first game ever in city field. So they have the first hit and the first win ball and the, you know, all that stuff, the first pitch. And, uh, we played them when they opened up. So you're with the Padres. What year was that in city field? I want to say it was, uh, um, let's see. I want to say it was 2009. Okay. When city field opened up. So, Okay, so you, the Padres, your career with the Padres, 2007 through 2011. Yes. You, the Padres went to play at City Field against the Mets to open that, that ballpark. Yep. Uh, the team that you came into baseball with, the Mets. Yep. Okay, so you're now with the Padres, and you're gonna, you, you got the first save against the Mets yeah. in City Field. Yeah, and the <laughs> funny part was um, how ironic my story is, is when I first got called up with the Mets, it was against the Padres. <laughs> and and as I recall, you you slammed the door against the Padres, or yeah, you had a really I, big well, I sh- um, I struck out four in two innings. Um, struck out David Wells, my first guy I faced, but then everybody's like, "Oh, that's a pitcher." And I said, "Well, I did get Brian Giles, the next batter. I struck <laughs> him out on a changeup, and it's yeah. probably the best changeup I ever threw in my whole life." Um, uh, I, I uh, Phil Nevin is the only that got the first hit off me. And that was one hit and um, four Ks and no runs. And then um, I did my first at bat ever was against um, the Phillies, but my second at bat ever was against Trevor Hoffman. And it, and then um, my first save. Well, wait, how'd you do against Trevor Hoffman? Your first at bat. I, I fouled off eight pitches before I um, hit a one hopper to the third baseman. And then I realized after you hit the ball, you got to run. Got to go. I was so say, I hit it, and a- I, I'd like to say I hit it so hard. By the time I took a step, third baseman had the ball because <laughs> I think he looked at me and I looked at him, and then I started jogging. Um, but you got to remember, I was like a long relief guy back then. So then um, uh, I guess that's probably my only regret for baseball. I never got a hit. You know, I got a bunt down. I got a, I got the web gem. Jimmy Rollins, my first about ever. I hit the ball up the middle. And to my story goes is uh, I let up because I came in the second inning because our first our starter got hit off the f- foot and broke his bone in his foot. So I had to come in and Jimmy Rollins dove head first and made the web gem of the week off me. But I <laughs> by a step, but I know I let up because everybody's like, OK, if you hit the ball, don't run so hard because you're going to have to pitch like four or five innings. <laughs> And I'm like, okay, because I usually only pitch one or two. I'm like, so I'll save my legs. So I let up because I thought I was going to get a hit. And then all of a sudden I see him dive and threw me out. And I tried to hustle, but too late. I don't know about that, man. But anyway, I, so then, I so know. here, so I get called up with the Mets. I face the Padres. Um, then I get traded a couple years later to the Padres. And my first save ever was in Shea Stadium. Trevor blew a save that rarely ever happened. And then... I came in the 10th inning. We scored a run. I came in the 10th inning and got a save. So my first save ever in the big leagues was against the Mets, you know, with the Padres. But, you know, I, I just have – I have a lot of Mets and Padres history right wow. there. That so. is really kind of an interesting thing. I, I, it's, it's, I wanted to come chat with you for a few different reasons, but generally my podcast has turned into a business – and kind of an inspiration <laughs> slash comedy podcast. It just, it takes twists and turns each week. And I never really know where it's going to go. But all of a sudden, the Padres, who, you know, back when you were with the Padres, there were so many guys that we in the radio world and, and being partners with the Padres, we had great relationships with. They were on the air all the time. We would see them out socially, lots of local charity events and so on. With the new ownership and then with the new front office management, it's a very, very different relationship that we have with the Padres now. And the Padres left our radio station to go start an FM station. So to me, not only are the Padres something that I'm more focused on critically because they're no longer business partners and because the Chargers aren't here to distract me from their mediocrity, um, but they're just there's it's kind of no holds barred now and and they've always gotten a free pass if you will just because everybody's always kind of pitied them it, it, I, what i'm getting at is this okay <laughs> <laughs> you know, where am i going with this i don't know i'm on a radio rant 
I thought it would be interesting to hear what you think about is going on currently the with the Padres. Yeah, what do you think about it? Do you like the plan? Do you believe in the plan? Do you believe in the people who are instituting the plan? What do you think? Uh, I think the ownership is really good ownership because they're doing a lot of things at the stadium in the offseason, and they're spending money during the season. Um, as in, like, you know, my kids love the Monster Jam, you know, mo- you know the and the shows that they do at the sta- at Petco Park. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, they're putting money into the, the, you know, signing Will Myers and then Eric Hosmer. I don't necessarily know where their plan is. You know, is their plan really young? I mean, is it a five-year plan, a three-year plan? I don't know where that is. I don't know exactly what they've come out and said because maybe well, I just haven't heard it. Well, here, I'll, I'll just give you a little of what we're talking about. Okay. That currently, it was just recently written, that the only guy currently on the roster who's really part of the future is Hosmer. Gotcha. That has since been backtracked by Kevin Acey, who covers the team now for the Union Tribune. Um, that has been backtracked to Will Myers is very much a part of the future. So clearly, whatever he wrote really pissed somebody off, and then he goes back and he fixes it. Um, but when you look at the future, it's, it, they keep saying it's all about these kids who are part of the number one farm system in baseball. Uh-huh. And think 2020, 2021, in that range, that's when the Padres should theoretically be what the Astros were last year or what the Cubs were the year before. 2021 is about when the Padres should be the Cubs or the Astros. What do you think? You're well, a real are, baseball I mean, guy. I mean, are we, are we trying to be the Cubs or the Astros or are we trying to be what Tampa did? Tampa got the number one pick for a long time and was not very good and then got to the World Series and then didn't win. They lost to Philly and then kind of struggled again. Um, I think the Astros made a lot of good trades and stuff. Um, the Cubs, I think they want, they got a lot of good talent, but you know, there was, you know, they, they fired the manager that they had and got Joe, um, Madden and they did really well, but you know, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's hard to find those. You know, I think if you're trying to find, if you're trying to do what other people are doing, it's, I don't think it's necessarily going to work. Cause I know I, I'm, Towards the end of my career, everybody was talking about Moneyball and this and the new way about, you know, baseball and whatever happened to the good ball player. Like, the only thing I see the pods really struggling with, they got they have a great outfield. You know, I like Eric. I know Eric um, decently, and um, he's a great sign. He's helped the team out a lot. But Will Myers was playing first base, and Will was pretty good there, you know. and But you had four good outfielders, and now you put Will out there, and now there's only two spots for four guys. So how are you really going to develop that? And those are little questions here. And then, like, the Padres, they got some good – bullpen's pretty good. You know, hands in the back end, and uh, Yates is pretty – you know, and there's some other guys that I really like. But their starting pitching is just – I don't think you have the – Clayton Richard's pretty solid, but, you know, I he's just – He's not part of the future, though. No, I know he's not part of the future, but you need guys that are not part of the future to kind of show the future how to do it. Okay. And guys like Clayton, that would be like, like – Tyson really, Ross? Tyson Ross a little bit, but I, I really liked how Chris Young was in the making at the very end of the – and I thought he was going to be on the team because he can relieve, he can start. And at the very end, he didn't make the team, and it was very shocking to me because I thought he pitched pretty good, and he's a great mentor and a great talking. Tyson Ross, I don't know how he is in the locker room. I don't know him personally. So I don't know if he's willing to like take everybody in their wings and you know, you know what you're going to get from Tyson, but is he going to try to help those other guys out? Are the other guys going to look up to him? Or are they going to say, Oh, well, you're not doing well. I'm not listening to you. I mean, what's the deal? Sometimes young guys don't listen to guys that are not doing well. Mm-hmm. And for, I don't know why it is, but some guys like Pedro Martinez, when I was with the Mets and we signed Pedro Martinez, the pitching coach, Rick Peterson's like, you need to talk to Pedro going to be a hall of famer blah blah and i went up to him i said hey pd can i talk to you about pitching and he said yeah we want to talk about and i said well you know they're telling me to come talk to you because you're a great pitcher blah 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 and he goes honestly you need to go talk to somebody i don't throw hard like you do anymore so you need to go find somebody in the bullpen like roberto hernandez that we had on the team and say go talk to him go talk to mike Dijon because those guys pitch like you do and learn from them you i'm not a you know you're not a starter you really, your future is not going to be a long relief and starting role. Your future is going to be set up or closer maybe one day and go talk to those guys that have done that. And I said, okay. So then I went to there and it was just funny. Cause like, and then I was teammates a couple years later with Greg Maddox and I would just talk to him once in a while, but it wasn't like pitching. It was like, what do you do to 
prepare yourself to get ready or this or that and take a little bit of here and a little bit of there, but always look at who am I trying to be? Not like you're trying to become somebody, but like Trevor Hoffman was great, great guy, but he was kind of, uh, he didn't throw that hard and he had a great changeup. Well, I don't have that great off speed pitch, that great changeup. So I had to look to, you know, like Doug Brokell that was in the bullpen or, um, uh, you know, whoever was else in the bullpen that I can't think of right now. Um, but it's just one like Scott Linebrink. Mm-hmm. That's what I was trying to think of. Look, look at those guys and talk to those guys and kind of learn from them because that's, they're doing it right now. And just talked about old stories and this and that, where I feel like I don't, like I said, I don't know Tyson. I know Clayton and Clayton's very approachable and talkable, but do the young guys like talking to those guys? Do they like learning from those guys? I don't know. I mean, that's why Bartolo Colon is so valuable, even though, you know, he's, I don't personally like him because of the PD, you know, testing and all that stuff. And, uh, but the young guys look up to him. The lung Latin starters look up to him and they can learn a lot. So I think the Padres just need a, the veteran starter to kind of help them out. Like maybe go, let's say if they had Chris Young this year, some other guys would develop a little bit more in the minors, but then they would be ready. And then if, you know, halfway through the season, if the, the older guy's not doing it, go ahead and let him go and call that other guy up or say, hey, could you say he's back is starting to bother him? You know, would you want to go on the DL and we'll ha- we'll get you healthy? It's kind of what a little bit like Adrian Gondalas did last year with, you know, at first base. Well, what, what, do you, what do you mean? What did he do exactly? Well, Cause, he, cause had I back, remember, he had a back injury, uh-huh. and I think he could have played through it, but he went on the DL. And then, um, uh, gosh, what's his name that came out? The Rookie of the Year. They're, um, I get all their young kids' names mixed up. But anyway, way. the Dodgers' first baseman. Uh-huh. And it's not, is it Bellinger? I think it's Bellinger. And so Bellinger did really kids. well, and I think he kind of like helped him out. But he also, I know Adrian talking to Adrian, he helped Yasio Puig talking to him. Like, hey, you know. But you what could, did Adrian do, though, that got all of his teammates pissed off? Even had Dave Roberts not really wanting to talk about him, uh, where he didn't I, show. He wasn't with the world team with the World Series. He wasn't then. with the team during the playoffs, and I don't know why. I, I haven't asked him that. I'll ask him in probably like five or six years. But, <laughs> but, it, but I, let me ask you this, though, about the Padres. Okay, so, so look, when you were playing, yeah. part of the charm, somebody who was covering you, who had you on the radio show all the time, part of the beauty of you, as I recall, was you were a uh, very blue-collar player. Yeah. You were a guy that when you were first drafted, you were drafted in like the 69th round, as I recall. It was a draft and follow, but I didn't sign because they didn't want me to sign, and then I was a non-drafted free agent the following year. Okay, yeah. and a non-drafted free agent in baseball. Yeah. To, to ever sniff the major leagues. Yeah, I wasn't supposed to be there. Is <laughs> one in a billion. Oh, yeah. Okay. So for you to not only have gone through, you know, the hard way, you weren't a first-round draft choice. You weren't a uh, Cal State Fullerton number one All-American type UCLA kind of college pitcher. You had to grind your way up, as I recall. Yeah, I only played varsity my senior year because I was a senior. (laughs) I had to be on varsity. Yeah. So back then, Kevin Towers Mm – was very much a baseball man. He had to do things by gut. He had to make deals. He had to wheel and deal, right? Because oh, yeah. there was no big money. There were, and if you were going to be a competitive team, you had to make the right personnel moves. It oh, didn't yeah. always work, but when it did, it was exciting. I remember in 06, uh, the clicker with the minute to go, it was it was me for Scott Linebrink in, in the trade deadline. And I called, and about 20 minutes later, I got a hold of somebody, and they said the deal didn't go through. Um, Padres pulled out of it. And then when I got traded that winter, I asked KT, I said, what happened? He goes, you know what? We had the deal done and we sent the paperwork over to the commissioner to get everything approved. And then I asked, I forget who he said, something in the locker room, maybe it was Bochi or Trevor or something. He's like, dude, he's one of our leaders. He didn't want to change the clubhouse chemistry in 06. So he, he pulled the, ta- the, the trade off the table. And um, even though it was it was going to get approved, it just needed the final stamp, and he just didn't you know sign or whatever he needed to do, because he didn't want to change up the chemistry. Yeah, on paper it looked great, but he didn't want to change up the chemistry. This is what I'm trying to get at, and this is why I'm coming to a, a guy who grinded his way up, who wasn't drafted, who came from very humble beginnings, etc., um, to this beautiful home that you have now and this great life that you've you've built for yourself and your family. Chemistry. Oh yeah. 
as a general manager, knowing what pieces of the puzzle to move or not to move. Line Brink's a leader. We can't move him out yeah. even though we want Bell. Um, chemistry, teammates all fighting for each other, believing in each other, et cetera, et cetera. Chemistry being led by the guy at the top. In this case, it was Bochi. And, and I think Kevin, T, Kevin Tower is working very much in association. I always felt like they were a team, those oh, two yeah. guys. What I'm asking about today is, is when you look at the Padres, do you see A.J. Preller and Andy Green as a team? Are those two guys connected to each other? Are they on the same page? Do they believe the same philosophies? Are, is Andy Green coaching what, what A.J. Preller is giving him? Is Preller picking the right talent? When you look at, back at that time, Bochy Towers yeah, yeah. versus now, just your observations. What do you think? Well, I would love to say yes, and they're talking, but the thing is I'm not in the locker room, so I can't say that A.J. and um, Green are talking to each other. You know, I can't say that maybe they're in there all the time because I remember KT was always in there with uh, Bochi and always in there with Bud Black after a game and just talk. And they would just talk baseball. Hey, what do you think this is going on? That's done. So, like, say, you know, say um, Green needs a, a veteran starter. Can you go out and get me a veteran starter that maybe is not big money or somebody that's – I just need somebody to teach these guys. So maybe you need to find somebody that can teach those guys. So – I'd like to hope to see that on the outside. I don't see it, but you, I'm not in the locker room, so I can't say yes and no. Well, just observationally speaking, what do you think of Andy Green as a manager? I think he's pretty decent. You know, I just I was kind of shocked that he got the job over, you know, when Bud got let go and the next year we had all these, you know, people, big name guys and but I, you know, for the most part, I I mean, I like his coaching staff. You know, I like them as people. I've met him a couple times. Um, Green, I've never really had a conversation, but he seems like a great guy. And some of the guys that I talk to in there like him. And that's all I can really go off of. I'm on the you... outside, I I like some of the things he does. But like I said, it's it's hard for me to really judge. I mean, I want to. I'm not being politically correct. Am I, you know me. I ain't politically correct. <laughs> Um, I just I just don't know Green that well. So I don't want to say, well, you know, I don't see this because – you know, maybe he is doing it and I don't see it. What about Preller? I mean, do you have an opinion on him? Do you think that, because, you know, his reputation is he's a scour the globe, 24-hour yeah. a day, 365-day-a-year guy. He's looking for talent. He's going to find the best talent, and he can sign the best talent. I mean, do you have an opinion of him? Uh, the only opinion I have is when he first came over, he got rid of a lot of the farm guys and, you know, got, um, you know, Kimbrell and got uh, uh, Kemp. G Kemp and Junior and they didn't work and Shields and then he got rid of everybody. So it's like, OK, what are you doing? Like, was it just a one year thing to get everybody hyped up and then I'm going to rebuild? Like it just his the the direction he was going, I, I saw it and then he like turned the right corner and went a different direction. So I just. Well, I, I, well, I do don't you, know. Is that is that again? Now I've asked you about the manager, yeah. the general manager. What about ownership? I mean, do you, do you look at the ownership of this club and go, "Wow, these are these are great baseball guys." I mean, Peter Seidler. You have to understand. If you don't, I mean, maybe you do. You know, his whole family was the O'Malley family. Uh -huh. They owned the Dodgers, so he yeah. grew up a baseball kid. He was around it his whole life. His granddad owned the Dodgers. Well, I mean, he went out and got he went out and got a, a on paper a great GM. You know, um, I'm not saying he's not a good on paper. It's just, you know, we haven't seen it yet. Um, he went out and got, you know, you when you're an owner, I feel like if you can go get the best GM and try to trust him on his direction and it's kind of where you, or he makes you believe in that direction, then yeah. In ownership, I think they've done well because, I mean, they, you know, he came in and traded a bunch of young guys, but then they went a different direction and it's not like they, they didn't sign. Um, remember when Chase Headley was here? They were going to sign him to the biggest contract for, you know, bigger than PV. And then they ended up trading him. And then it was kind of the same thing with Will Myers, but then they did sign Will Myers. And then, well, we're going to make another big splash. And it was for another first baseman, but Will's more of an outfielder. So, and they went in, did it. So I feel like the ownership's still good. I think they are baseball guys, but I just feel like they haven't put all the pieces of the puzzle yet. You know, and my only question, if I had, if I could sit down and talk with them that I know it'll never happen, but it's just like, what is the puzzle going to look like? Why would, you know? why would that never happen? Are you not welcome back? There are a lot of Padre players who are part of the family, yeah. Trevor and Mark Loretta and Mark Sweeney and, you know, Anthony Gwynn Jr. I mean, they, they're part of the familia. Are you excommunicated? No, no, I do the softball thing. It's just my kids are young, and I just honestly I want to spend more time with my kids than do a lot of that. 
And I think if I asked them, Hey, you, you want my help this and that? Cause you know, I show, I probably go to like 10 to 15 games with my boys and occasionally come in the clubhouse just to say hi, but I don't want to, you know, um, mess up the mojo or kind of like come in and overstep my boundaries. Um, but I just, I've been really focusing on my 14 year old playing ball and my 16 year old has down syndrome doing cheerleading and my eight year old, he's a Lego master slash mm-hmm. he just started wanting to play little league. So I'm doing little league and that's a debacle, but I'm so glad though that your, your 14 year old son is not here right now. Yeah. Because if I see that kid, man, he's already six one and he's in eighth grade, dude, if I see that kid, he's going to, he's probably going to kick my ass probably be- because I I know, he's a gentle giant. I owe him an apology though. Why? So <laughs> it was little league season Yeah, and I was one of the coaches on one of our teams and we, our kids were playing in the same little league, although my son's older than yours. Uh-huh. And um, so I had to umpire a game because it was part <laughs> of the responsibilities. Remember? Yeah. yeah, right? yeah. So your son comes up and I, I mean, I know who, who he is, you know, and I know your wife and, gotcha. you know, I see, and you were at, there was a game, you were away on yeah. a trip or whatever. And um, I'm a terrible umpire, and I'm not really a very good baseball coach either. I'm a good motivator, but I'm not gotcha. really – I don't know anything about the skills of the game. And, um, and I rung your son up looking on a pitch that really was not a strike. Like, if I could have done it over – like, you know, sometimes umpire, umpires make mistakes. Oh, yeah, they do. Trust me, I don't argue umpires very often. <laughs> the poor kid went – he went back to the bench. He was so pissed off, and I was like – that was such a terrible call. God, I would like to have I know. I've, back. I honestly – I've had to teach him, okay – Big major league umpires is not what you're going to get in little league and travel ball, buddy. They're good. The <laughs> zone's going to be bigger. You got to be swinging a little bit more because he's like, wait a second. And I'm like, I know I'm used to it being, it's got to be over the plate, but if it's too, you know, if the catcher kind of sticks it, they call it. So you're going to have to learn to swing a little bit more wide. Let me, let me ask you this. Let me turn our attentions. I, it's nice to talk baseball and it's, it's fun to, to talk about the Padres with you, but I would like to ask you, you know, because I'm in this beautiful home of yours, right? And you made a lot of money when mm-hmm. you were playing. And I, I don't know what the grand total was, but just call it $25 million, let's just say. More? Oh, yeah. It was probably twice that much. Really? $50 million? Yeah, it was around there somewhere. Okay. How does a kid like you, who, again, comes from very humble background, we can talk about that, I'd like yeah, to, yeah. how do you know what to do with all this money? How do you know how to manage it? How do you know how to spend it or save it or uh, where my it's dad, at? My dad was really smart man even though he didn't finish high school and went into the marines corps uh he was son you're gonna make more money you're gonna spend more money you're gonna make more money you're gonna get more bills so always put money away just for an emergency and um even if it's just a little bit here and there you know and and um yeah it's probably why i probably have multi like three or four banks and different bank accounts instead of just one because a lot of people i think a lot of Wealthy people say, well, you got to put in here for the interest and stuff like that. I'm like, yeah, I like my money a little bit everywhere. So it's not like caught up in every, you know, one grand thing of grand scheme of the thing. And, you know, I'm, I, you know, I have a really nice house, but, um, you know, the wood that I have on the floor is not from Italy or the countertops are not, I don't know, the most expensive. It just looks really nice. And I mean, these couches right here, I've had for a really long time. Uh, we got, that off of um, that chair off of uh, a website called like Savvy or something like that. My wife has it's it's um, so you, you, what you're getting at is always that you're 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 good with money. You're smart yeah, pretty with good. Money. Like, you know, I go to like that shuffleboard behind you is from Costco. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the home de- the fridges are from Home Depot. <laughs> you know, I mean, I could really buy really nice stuff, but really why spend $5,000 on a fridge, small fridge where you can go to Home Depot and spend a hundred bucks. And if you need to replace it every five to 10 years, you're still, still way good. Ahead of the game. Yeah. So like so, my dad always said, the most expensive thing is not the best. Find something that's going to last you, take care of it. And it'll last you for a long time. Like these jeans I've probably had for 10 years now, you know, it's the shirt I know I've had for you know, six or seven years. That's the kind of shirt you got to be careful with too, because once somebody sees you wearing it, they're going to always remember it. It's like Abraham Lincoln with a mohawk. Oh, everybody loves that shirt. And I yeah. think I got it at Nordstrom's and everybody wants to get the shirt. And I'm like, well, I got it so much, so long ago. I don't, <laughs> I think it was Nordstrom's that got it. So that's a really cool shirt. And it really didn't even occur to me what it was until I really took a good look at it. <laughs> yeah. So it's just like, you know, I don't, I don't go out and spend like my, I have a daughter in college um, do you write she, checks, but hold on. Do you, do you actually physically sit down and pay your electric bill, pay your phone bill? Well, I don't or, write checks. I um, do it from the bank. Okay. Uh, the so computer. Okay. But you, what I'm saying is you physically manually, you yourself every month. Yeah. Every, you do your own bills. You don't have an accountant. You don't have a, well, ba- I have a CPA uh, that does all that stuff and he does like the big stuff, like the insurance or, um, 
um, like the insurance or the uh, life insurance or the medical, you know, the big ones that you do like every quarter or like he does my taxes and he just sends them and, and you know, um, he, t he sends me an email. I look over all of them and I just sign it. My wife signs it. But the day-to-day -day bills like the the trash and the electricity and the gas and the, I pay all that. What about like, okay. So, so he basically gives me an allowance. He puts so much in my account and if I need more, I'll tell him. But yeah. And if the electricity is up, you know, I go, hey, wait a second. Okay, it's the summertime. We're using the AC a little bit more, but the wintertime, we shouldn't be using the AC. Let's open the windows. You know, I kind of, I, I pay attention to that stuff. This house is um, out in Poway. Mm -hmm. And if this house were in Rancho Santa Fe, this house would probably be, I'm going to guess, 6 or $7 million. Oh, yeah, easily. You've got a tennis court in the back that's turned into a batting cage. You've got a beautiful pool that you've built, this great outdoor kitchen and living area. The house is completely redone. It's beautifully furnished. Yeah, we have a guest house in the backyard. And and so all of this in Poway, though, is the much, much smarter way to do it. Because a house in Rancho is going to be five and a half to six, and out here, I'm going to guess one and a half to two. Well, I just, I feel like, you know, if it's smarter to be out here, my th thought process was, you know, if I'm 15 minutes from the beach, it's the same thing of being 25 minutes from the beach. You know, because I still got to pack up the car and drive to the beach. So unless I'm at the beach and I can walk there, it only takes me like 10 minutes because I'm only a few blocks away, I have to get in the car and drive. So why not drive, you know, 15, 20 minutes longer, you know, and you can have more live more comfortably where, excuse me, um, I didn't want to be house poor. I didn't want to be, well, I have really nice cars and, um, or I have a really nice house, but no furniture inside, or I'm just living, you know, or when I'm 60 or 70 years old, I don't have any money, you know? Um, so I just, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to have like a budget every year. You know, if I go over it a little bit, it's not the end of the world, but I try to stay on, on, on track. Like I was saying, my daughter's in college and when she was 16 and she got a car, she actually got a, a 2000, I think it was 15, uh, Subaru. And, um, uh, my, my truck is, it's a Raptor, but it was from 2013. And my dad always said, you know, I'm never going to have a ki uh, a child with a newer car than me. And I was just like, you know what? It's a really safe car and this and that. And that's kind of her dream car. And I was like, yeah, I'll go for it. Why not? And I'm going to lose my truck soon because my 14 year old wants my truck. Mm -hmm. He's going to want it this after the first year, he's going to be like, dad, it costs a lot in gas. Yeah. <laughs> So, and you know, I've been thinking, you know, I have a minivan that we barely drive and I drive once in a while if the whole family's going somewhere, but, um, you know, it's just, you know, I just try to stay modest. My minivan's from, you know, uh, I think it's 11 or it's an 09 and I just, you know, I try like when I was playing, I had a Nissan Altima forever, you know, everybody thought it was the car that they gave me. And I was like, Nope, that's the car. That's my car. <laughs> so I just, you know, I try to hold on to things take care of things. Like my dad used to tell me, like I said, you know, if you take care of something like your car, it'll last you for a really long time. But if you just go and get the oil changed and tires rotated and you're like, whatever, it's only going to last you a hundred thousand miles. But if you last, it'll last you 300, 400,000 miles. It's so funny. We're having this conversation. My daughter's about to turn 16 and I have a whole car love triangle going on because I'm in the middle of, or hopefully more towards the end of a divorce, unfortunately. And, um, so I'm actually, going to give my daughter my car, which is a Cadillac SUV, which is way, way, way too much car, but it's a really small one. Yeah. And, and I don't care about cars. Cars are not status symbols to me. A friend of mine around the corner shows me this car in his driveway. He goes, I got to get rid of this car. It's a 1993 Buick Park Avenue. And if I promise you, it is like brand new because uh -huh. this old man owned it from day one, kept it in a garage. My buddy bought it off him, put 500 miles on it. I took it to this mechanic and I said, would you look this over? He goes, I can't believe this car. It has 157,000 miles on it, 6,000 miles a year over 25 years. He goes, you can drive this car another 150,000 miles. And I'm thinking, I kind of want to teach my daughter a lesson. Like I'm willing to drive this old piece of shit yeah. and you can drive the nice Cadillac that I'm still paying on and you can have it. Go take it as a status symbol to your high school because that's important to you. Uh -huh. But it, it doesn't mean shit to me. And I just... I'm trying to teach my kids that because the way you described your upbringing is very much mine. Uh -huh. And, and these kids today, especially here in Southern California, especially the neighborhoods that I live in. Yeah, I know. I mean, 
my daughter went to my daughter that I'm talking to goes to Biola University and um, she Where's went she to going? Rancho San what school Biola University oh. it's up by Knott's Berry Farm in mm -hmm. LA mm -hmm. but she went to Santa Fe um, Christian was it wait yeah no, wait. Santa Fe Christian yeah Santa Fe Christian mm -hmm. High School that's where she went yeah so I mean yeah she was surrounded by all that you know um, but but also not only was she surrounded by it her dad was as rich if not richer than anybody else yeah but you know I you know she's pretty humble she just you know she just she's a good girl. She's just trying to, you know, I'm trying to teach her to be responsible. So like, you know, she's on dad scholarship cause she doesn't play sports or anything. Um, she's a sophomore. She, or she's going to be a junior now. Um, cause she's home for the summer. But the thing is like I first year I paid for everything. And then the next year I said, okay, look, um, I'm not paying for yourself anymore. So you're going to have to, you know, pay $50 a month. I'll take it out of your account or whatever. So we have a little thing. So every month I do that. And, your junior year and this summer is starting like dad's not paying for gas anymore. Need to get a job. Well, and she always had a job here and there, but like, you're going to have to work a little bit more. So mm -hmm. my whole plan, and I've told her this and every year I tell her this, I said, the reason I'm doing this is because so when you graduate college, you'll know how to be responsible and defend for yourself, know how to pay rent, pay all the bills, all that stuff. And you're going to be like, no, I can figure it out. But mom and dad are going to want to help you. It's almost like, no, I could do it. And it's like, no, but let's, but let us buy you groceries. Let us buy you the new furniture. Let's, let's, you know, let's, um, let's help you with the, you know, uh, rent of, you know, first month rent or something like that. Or let me help you out a little bit, even though you, you won't really, you won't want it because you want to do it on your own. Cause like, no, I can do it. It's just gonna be really hard. Well, we don't want it to be that hard for you, but we want you to know, we want to know that you can do it. Not. Well, hey, I need this. I need that. I need a new car. You know, I have, I've had this car for five years. I need a new one. You know, it has 100,000 miles. I need a new jacket. I need these concert tickets. No, it's like, no, you need to save. You need to learn. I need the new iPhone, you know, or the new whatever phone, Samsung or whatever it is. So she, but she's really good at that. She's, um, for the most part, you know, she's, she's humble. I mean, there's always that little, I think every athlete's kid is, you know, wants a little too much. But she's really good. She's getting pretty good grades, and, you know, she's getting a good education. She loves college, and um, she's just learning. You just have to keep teaching them. That's all. And you just got to let them make their own mistakes where if you, if you always do everything for them, then, like right now, she wants to get an apartment with three of her friends. And honestly, the apartment that she's looking at, that I'll help out a little bit because I have to co-sign it because they have no credit. But I don't want them there, but I'm going to have my wife and I are just going to have to let her be just because it's a little bit dirtier where if she went like three more blocks over, she'd be a little bit nicer, but her roommates wouldn't be able to pay. So I'm like, okay, I'll just let her go over here. Cause it's a little bit dirtier or not as clean, but I got to be okay with that. Cause I got to, that's where I started. Mm -hmm. You know, even though you want your, a little bit more for your kids, sometimes you got to let them struggle a little bit. Yeah. So let me ask you this talking about money. So you get done playing ball You've made fifty million dollars plus. Uh -huh. um, obviously, there's taxes and there's lawyers and there's agents and everything else. You you have whatever you've got left, and I'm sure it's a, a handsome amount of money. You feel comfortable, obviously. But do you do anything now, business wise, that you're thinking can generate money? And I, and I ask that because, <laughs> again, I mentioned these at the beginning. This this podcast has really become more about business like and oh yeah when yeah. sports and business collide fantastic a couple of weeks ago i was up in uh bonzo with bill goldberg the wrestler and man you got to see the spread he has but you got to see the business that he's in the business of cars and um and and by the way that business is not just the actual physical cars themselves it's the television shows that go with them and oh, it's yeah. the it's the social media platforms that he utilizes and so on so there's an, a, a whole business of being bill um and, I've, and I'm talking to all these other business leaders and entrepreneurs around town. And I'm just, I'm looking at a guy like you and I, I get a call from somebody who we both know, a guy named Mike McGrath. Mm -hmm. Back in the old days of, of, of our radio show, Mike um, decorated our bus. He was the guy that produced all of our stickers. He was like me. He was a small town wheeler dealer kind of guy, you know, and just kind of making things happen the way he, the best way he could. And we were promoting the hell out of him on the radio. Yeah, yeah. And so between Mike, who I met through Gary Schneider, known to most people as Gary from Ego Trip, yeah. Gary was the original great friend listener. And so Gary um, met you through mm -hmm. us, yep. kept a great relationship with you, and now apparently introduced you to Mike years ago. Yeah, years ago. 
And now you and Mike, I'm told, are in the coffee business together. Yeah. So when I first retired, um, you understand how this makes me feel great right now, yeah, right? It's, it's, I take great I would, pride in being a connector. I would never know Mike if it wasn't for you. <laughs> um, so my brother does uh, real estate. He's a broker and a real estate guy in a uh, construction up in Orange County, LA. By the way, do you take care of anybody in the family? Yeah. Or are you uh, the provider? Now that you've made all the money and dad is not here and so on? Uh, no, my dad passed away a few years ago. And, you know, if my mom ever struggles, I'll help her out. But she's doing fine. I mean, so everybody's doing fine. If somebody really needs something, it's they not. They know they can call. I mean, is it, is it, they is can it, call. Is it a terrible phone call? Heath, oh, my God, you no, don't understand. It's, it's one of those things is I'm really good at saying no if yeah, I feel like it's a want. You know, if they're really struggling, I would never let anybody in my family, like, lose their house or anything like that. But it's. Are you living within your means? Are you like, why is this situation happening? Uh, they must say dealing with you is like dealing with dad. Yeah, kind of probably. <laughs> but dad was always there to help everybody out. But like, so anyway, I retire. My brother, everybody lives in Texas except for my brother. My two sisters and my, my mom and are out there. And so my brother does real estate, Desert Sea Real Estate. And um, he just said, bro, you really need to get into real estate a little bit. So I have a bunch of rental properties that, to make you have your money, make money and let's just not sit there and, and, and make off interest. And, um, I said, okay. So I started doing that with my brother a little bit. And then, you know, we were possibly toying with the ideas of flipping homes. So the last couple of years, I've really been watching the market and it has been ready for any of that. I mean, you can see all these shows, but they're starting to die off because all these shows are a couple of years old and yeah, seven, eight years ago, it was great market flipping homes, but markets started to go up again. So that's not the best time to do it. And then um, just, uh, gosh, uh, let's see, six months ago, I was talking to Gary and Mike was there and he's like, yeah, I just bought this coffee company. I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, uh, cold nitro brew coffee. And I was like, I like cold coffee. I said, I, I used to, you know, in the seventh inning, I would have a sip or two, just get a little caffeine fix. Cause when I was growing up in Orange County, uh, when we moved up there, um, Troy Percival had like a, you know, he drank too much coffee before games. Like he had like the jitters all sometimes. And it was one of the, him and Trevor, my two favorite closers. And so I would just, you know, like, and I would start stretching in the seventh inning with the seventh inning stretch, you know, before I'd start pitching the ninth inning. And I kind of did that in the minor leagues too. And I was talking to him and he's like, Hey, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm coaching and not doing anything during the day. I mean, after, as soon as I get the kids from school, then I'm really busy. But before then he's like, well, you know, I got the sign shop and I said, yeah, all pro stickers and come help me do this. All right. So then we just kind of joined the forces and, um, uh, we have another partner bill, but, uh, it's, uh, the, the name is seven, seven cold brew or seven cold nitro brew coffee, but we just call it seven cold brew. A lot of people think it's beer, but it's actually coffee. It's cold coffee. But when, when Mike told me about this, here, here's the cool he, part. I thought it was beer, dude. He said to me, he goes, Hey, I want to put one of these, you know, Heath and I yeah, are partners yeah. now. I want to put one of these in the studio. And I'm thinking to myself, what the hell am I going to do with a beer keg in the radio well, studio? And then, then we go, we'll give you a kegerator. Then you go like, dude, I can't have coffee. Like, what are you talking, beer? You know, like, it's not coffee. So what it is, it's kind of cool. So you know the keg are from college, what little teen fridge and the spout. And we put a five-gallon um, keg of coffee underneath with nitro underneath, and you cool down, and it comes out straight um, cold, and it's got two and a half times more caffeine. And it, there's no that bitter aftertaste. That was the only thing I didn't like about coffee is that little bitter aftertaste, so I'd always just have a sip or two. But I love coffee ice cream and the smell of coffee. It was just delicious. And, uh, there's no bitter aftertaste and man, every morning I have a cup of coffee like my dad used to be. It's just, you know, he had black coffee where I have black nitro brew coffee. <laughs> and the cool part is it comes out and like somebody goes, look, when it pulls out with the nitro and then it starts separating, he goes, it's like Guinness beer. Look, and I'm like, but I, there's no beer. I think we can pick this device up oh, and, yeah, and literally I know we're carrying cords here, but let's walk over and take a look. So, right. okay. So this is, and, and. Just tell me this already. Yeah. This is in, this is where people have these in their offices. I know so the Padres have one in the clubhouse, right? So yeah, we put one in the Padres clubhouse. So we're thinking about bottling it, but we're probably three months away from doing that because just doing it right. Um, the, here's here's the thing: is you know how like uh, was it sparkling? They did it for they put water in all the office rooms. The uh, uh, what's what's the water company? You know the big sparklets. Sparklets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well. Everybody just had a drinking fountain. Well, Sparklets came in the break room and said, here, have some water. Mm -hmm. Now you can have it cold. You can have it hot. 
Well, that's kind of our concept to go in into the office buildings and say, here, here's the break room. So your client, your um, employees don't have to go to Starbucks. They don't have to, uh, you know, that, you know, that cure reg that you got to clean it out and you got to put the filter in. Oh, we don't have any of these that have any of this. We don't By have the way, this. There's a, whole, there's a whole environmental play there as well. That you Yeah. Know. Where you come in here and we just deliver it. And when you run out, we come back the next day and, you know, whenever it is. And it, you get about 80, 70 to 80 cups of um, coffee out of this. And the thing is, you just go in the break room and come up here and you just put the cup up and just pour it. But it looks like you're pouring beer. Well, but it, as soon as it comes out, it's not beer. You can tell it's not beer. No, no, I got it. But what I'm asking is, is like, but when you see is, a K-grader, you think of beer. That's what up. I'm saying. So I'm asking, like, do people, is there resistance from, you know, professional office places that it looks like a beer thing? No. Okay. They all think it's pretty cool. Oh, good. When, when we actually bring one in, we actually have like a little gallon uh, keg that we have a tap on top, a little nitro uh, can that goes on it. People always come over to the break room. Dude, you got beer over here? We're like, no, it's coffee. Oh, I wanted to try beer, but yeah, give me a cup of coffee. And they're like, oh, that is so good. That's better than our coffee pot. And that's kind of, so it's kind of a, it's a way that I think people kind of go, oh, I want to go try that beer over there. And then all of a sudden it's coffee because they just see a little keg and they think it, but it's kind of like, oh, you know, it's kind of our, um, it draws attention to people. So like here, we, you can put this anywhere because you don't need to hook it up to water or anything. You just need to plug it in and keep the keg cold. And it's just a keg and a nitro can and just goes in and I'm telling you everybody that we put it in loves it. Who makes the coffee? Cause you know, in beer, we actually do. We so brew it. How, who tests it? Who comes up with the recipes? Who well, here's the tastes thing. it? So, um, Mike knew, uh, a guy named Kirby that I don't know much about Kirby and that's where he technically he bought the business from, but Kirby in, invented, we call him the mad scientist, but he's on a crew. He's on a cruise or drive. He's on a boat somewhere with his wife. And, um, you mean so he's I, retired now and he's on oh, a yeah, boat. He, well, yeah, he's retired for a while, got but it. he was bored. This is the story I got. He was bored, wanted to develop something. So he literally tried all these different ways of making cold brew coffee and came up with this way. And it, we, it's like our secret sauce because nobody brews coffee like us and we have a secret way of doing it. And it's just not the general, like everybody else does. And it takes so much. And everybody at first we were a little nervous, like, everybody's gonna like it so here's the thing so my house was getting remodeled and uh i all the workers hey try this out try this out because i really wanted to see if everybody liked it everybody loved it so so what you've poured right here though is a half a glass yep do you drink it just as is because you've also got some well i drink um, you can drink it like this you mm -hmm. can try it out but then what, what we have is we have different syrups in the back where they're sugar-free and you can add chocolate a you know or pump of caramel i kind of like caramel a little bit more what's but that one is that one vanilla over that's there vanilla okay and that's the only reason i ask is because that's generally the flavor that i would put in so I, but i want to taste it try try okay. it like this this is the cool part because everybody goes try your different flavors okay so let me just say this okay this is my first reaction i would not need to put any sweetener well in that's this. that's what everybody says yeah because it's already not just sweet enough but it's actually tasty yeah like so it tastes like coffee but it's not like overbearing, like heavy no, coffee. It, it doesn't have that, you know, little coffee aftertaste or that acidic aftertaste. But the cool part about it is watch. So you have that one. Everybody says that, man, you don't need anything. No, I, I don't need to put anything in here. Although I am going to put some vanilla so, in it just to try it. So you come up here and then. Okay, here you go. Got it. Heath has put the microphone down. He is now playing barista. He is pumping the vanilla so I in. I just pumped one vanilla in. Okay. Now try this one. Okay. It totally changes the flavor. And I, I didn't swish it around. I just pumped it one in there. Oh, yeah. Totally changes the flavor. Yeah, and the thing is, like, we're working on different recipes. Like, we have a few on the website right now to kind of like, hey, if you want s'mores, taste it like this. Ooh, actually, you know what? Now that it is getting swished around, it's good. Mm. It's, it's one of those things that the coffee's so good. You know how, like, you have different flavors? So, of coffee, and they have this, the vanilla, the whatever well, you have this and you're like, Dude, you don't need anything. But when you try some out, you're like, whoa. So you know why? Because 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 as I'm looking at it, we're actually drinking it through not a coffee mug, but a clear glass. Yeah. And and it looks like, you know, it could be iced tea. Oh, but, yeah. Like when it, but it's very creamy feeling when it comes out. Like I said, a friend of mine thinks it looks like Guinness because it has that. It just kind of breaks up. But that's the nitro right there that kind of. It kind of foams it up. 
That is really good. But it's, it's, and it's so good. And my daughter worked at Starbucks when she was in high school and she really liked it and everybody really liked it. So I just jumped on board and, um, and the company's just, moving now, right? I mean, there's the a lot of momentum. Yeah. We're moving from, uh, we're moving into a small, we had a small little warehouse and now we're moving into a bigger warehouse. And like I said, we're probably about three months away from actually putting it in cans and, you know, seven, we call it seven cold brew. That's the only bad part about it because it's not really bad, but everybody thinks it's beer. So, but it's, change it's, the name, yeah. well, we're not going to change the name because here's, here's the aspect. Well, I say change the name. I mean, but all I'm saying it's is nit- it's brew. nitro brew coffee. Mm-hmm. We just have to get coffee in there a little bit more. Correct. That's all. But uh, here's right. the thing, like in the, here's, here's the funny part. So I'm actually, it's on order right now from Trinity bats in orange County. The tap handles are going to be small bats, which will be really cool. And, and here's the thing. So we were kind of thinking about should, how should we incorporate baseball? Well, I said, well, here, you know, set, we came up with seven because when I first came to the Padres, I was the seventh inning guy, the seventh inning stretch, because that's when I, I, I used to have a sip of coffee and then kind of stretch out and get ready for the ninth inning when I was closing games, even in the Meyer leagues, the seventh inning was kind of like my time to like get up and move around and have a sip of coffee or whatnot. And trust me, I wish I would have had this coffee yeah, right on. back then. But, um, it just, it, it kind of clicks and then it just, and then we were just thinking, you know, this would be great for, um, you know, like the 17 stretch at, uh, at ballparks because you know, they don't sell beer anymore. Why don't you have, um, why don't you have a cup of coffee idea. on the way home? That's a great idea. The you know, seven inning stretch being presented by, by seven cold brew coffee.com. So, you know, I'm hopefully, you know, I can talk to the Padres and say, Hey, do you want to come try this out? And the, all the guys love it. How'd you get into the clubhouse down there? I just talked to, you know, I still know people down there. So I just asked them. And the thing is, um, there's a, they have coffee, they have coffee in there, but there was, um, there in the visiting's clubhouse of the Dodgers, there was a, a cold night or cold coffee that was in there that one of the clubbies was telling me. And he said, it wasn't this good. And he said, oh, we kind of over there. And he goes, yeah, I'll, I'll put it in here. I'll try it out. You know? And I said, yeah, if the guys don't like it, we'll take it out in a couple of weeks. No worry about it. But they all love it, and, you know, I've been taking – it's funny because I show up – I'll show up before a game, probably at 11 or 12 o'clock before most of the guys get there. And literally I got a keg over my shoulder, and I'm the delivery guy. Yeah. So, you know, if you, if you, if you order one from us, you never know. You know, Heath Bell might deliver your keg. <laughs> all right, well, listen, we – I always say this to everybody on this podcast. This is the first, not the last. So let's end it right there because we've gotten into a lot. We've talked baseball, a little bit about your career, a little family, a lot of money, parenting, and now business. Perfect way to end this thing. This yeah, is, this definitely. Is awesome. let's, next time we talk, let's talk a little bit more about baseball. I know you love it. And in fact, we need to get you back on the radio to start talking baseball. Yeah. I, I mean, trust me, I love the pods. I love watching. I'm rooting for them. It's just, you know, the only thing that I really wish I knew was what direction are they going? You know, the only thing I really think they need, everybody's going to say probably hitting and stuff. I just need, you just need like one or two starters. You need, you not, maybe not a up and coming stud, just that veteran guy to help those young guys out. Cause there's some great arms there. It's just, they just need a little bit more mentorship or a little bit more time before they can really develop. That's all. So if you are not in Southern California, more specifically, if you're not in San Diego, you may not know the Heath Bell story. In fact, I spoke to my father earlier and he said, who's on the podcast today? And I said, Heath Bell. And he said, who's that? And I said, well, hold on a second, Jack. You know, you live in South Florida. Heath Bell left the Padres and, and he made his way down to South Florida because he didn't sign a contract extension with the Padres because there was a whole controversy. Heath wanted more years. The Padres wanted less years. Heath took the money and went to Florida. And, um, and when he took off, man, shit fell apart because he was a family guy and he's got the kids that he talked about and they were younger at the time. And, you know, without the support around him, his head wasn't right and his game wasn't right. So really interesting to catch up with Heath and talk to him about all these different things. You know, th- those old school values that his father drilled into him. And even though he said, like he said, I made over $50 million in my career. He's not one of those guys that is just living frivolously and who knows may run out of money. This is a very, very smart, conservative, you know, family guy who's living retired and he's still young and he wants that money to last him a lifetime. And what an interesting character he always was and, uh, and continues to be. So thanks to Heath Bell for coming on this week. And I'm going to just say this. I love doing these podcasts. There's no money to be made yet in these podcasts. I mean, I'm not making any money. I'll say this. Great sponsors help things like this. For example, 
Gorilla Movers. When I moved recently, let me tell you something. It's a pain in the ass, and it hurts both financially and it hurts uh, just physically. And I will tell you, the worst part of moving is the emotional shit, man. Because when you start looking through old magazines or, or photo albums, you know what I'm talking about, family stuff, you go, damn, look what stuff was like back then. Look how happy we were. What happened? And so it's an emotional grind moving. But when you have friends in the business like I do, like you do, Gorilla Movers, GorillaMovers.com in San Diego, whether you're moving around town, moving out of town, cross country, doesn't matter. Gorilla Movers for your office, for your home. And again, it could be local or it could be, you know, just somewhere else, uh, you know, throughout the state of California or maybe it's nationally. GorillaMovers.com. These guys are a bunch of freaking beasts. So it's... it. There's not a lot of money yet to be made in something like this, or at least I haven't figured it out yet. I, I know Joe Rogan's got it, and Adam Carolla's got it, and, and guys who've got big-time podcasts. We're building our community here now, and we're doing it locally. And so I appreciate everybody listening. If you can, whatever you're supposed to do, write reviews, share. If you're on Facebook, share it. If you go to my website, scottkaplanmedia.com, that would be cool too because I actually pay for it, and like I get to see the analytics. Do people show up? And then eventually maybe there's, there's business there as well. So... I appreciate you being a part of this. I appreciate you being with me this week. I thought Heath Bell was amazing, and I look forward to talking to you next week on the Scott Kaplan Solo Podcast.